we're in a series on, um, on service, and it's called At Your Service. You can see on your sheets there. And this is our third weekend. We've got another week to go after this. Um, and we're going to be in Mark 10, Mark chapter 10, verses 35 and 45. Uh, you can flip there with me. And as you're doing that, uh, i got a question for you. Um, but first, I'd like you to think of a time in your life when you've been put in a position of leadership or, or authority or responsibility or maybe a position you wanted but you didn't get. Maybe you're thinking of a position, a position at work or a position at school. Uh, maybe it's in sports. And so then the question is, how did you get there? Or the person that, that you're thinking of that got it that wasn't you. Um, when I was studying for tonight's message, I was reminded of a leader, leadership position that I got when I was in high school. I kind of actually completely forgot about it until I was studying for this. And I played soccer all the way through high school. Uh, from the YMCA, YMCA up through elementary school, middle school, and high school. And unlike that thing, uh, soccer is called football to the rest of the world because it's a real ball and you actually use your feet. I don't like that thing. So, but like most sports, the rules get more legit as you get older. And so in high school, they, they introduced this thing called captains. And... If you've, ever, if you've ever watched soccer on TV, I know you guys just do that all the time. Uh, if you've seen some of the players running around with like these armbands on, those are the captains. And they're the, they're the people, as a part of the official laws of the game, those are the people that meet in the center of the field with the coin, the coin toss, and they'll decide what direction you're going to go. Um, and they kind of help mediate between their team and the referees and help morale on the team. Um, they're sort of like an on-field coach, but they're part of the team. Um, it's, it's a leadership position. And so in high school, typically it's the seniors, so the upperclassmen are the team captains. And we usually had like two or three from what I can remember. And my senior year, it just so happened that we had a lot of underclassmen on our team. And the coach, usually you pick the, uh, just a team vote, who's going to be out of the seniors, team vote, who's going to be the captains. And so... Whenever, I, I, you know, I, I remember seeing some of my senior peers put two and two together, um, and they were worried that they weren't going to get chosen, and for good reason, uh, because they enjoyed the authority that came with being an upperclassman, and they were, I mean, they were jerks to some of the underclassmen, and so long story short, you can imagine, uh, a lot of them didn't get picked, and they were pretty mad about it, and I did get picked, and they were kind of irritated at me. Um, because they, they, we were just overloaded with underclassmen, and the underclassmen didn't like them. Um, and, you know, they thought that, that my peers thought they were worthy of the position simply because they were seniors. But that didn't really work out for them. If they had known the details of how it was going to play out, they may have adjusted their goals along the way to be able to get where they wanted. And that's how it always works, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty. If we knew how a lot of things were going to play out in life, we would adjust our goals accordingly along the way to get where we wanted to be. And in our passage tonight, we're going to see a similar idea with the disciples. We'll get some insight into their desires, and we're going to see what Jesus says about the road to get there. And as you can see, the title of tonight's message is The Goals of a Servant. And so we're going to be approaching our passage tonight from that mindset to pull some goals from it. So if you're with me in Mark 10, we're going to read verses 35 to 45. Verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, 
we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand, and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so before we really dig into this passage tonight to to get some goals, I'd like to do kind of a, a broad overview of it. From the first three verses, we see the disciples, James and John, they've got a desire to sit at Jesus' right and left hands in his glory. And we know that, that sitting on the right or left hand is significant in Scripture. Uh, at the end of the Gospel of Mark, we won't look at it, but in Mark 16, 19, when Christ is leaving this planet, it says that he goes to heaven and he sits on the right hand of God. And he's God's right-hand man. That's significant. And these guys, they're not asking for the right and left hand of of he- to sit in heaven, they're asking for it in his millennial kingdom that he'll set up on this planet when he comes back because that's when he's going to sit on his throne with his glory on full display. And with this context, Christ's millennial kingdom on this planet, we'll see in Matthew 25, 31, it says that when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then, how sh- then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And so that throne on this planet in his glory, it's his millennial kingdom, And Matthew's version of our passage tonight actually uses uh, that word kingdom instead of glory to affirm that. So basically what the disciples, James and John, are asking for is that the first and second positions, aside from Christ, of course, in his kingdom, in the millennial kingdom. And and with that, all the glory and power and authority that comes along with it. That's a serious request. But it's not all bad. I mean, they're, they're asking to be close to Christ. And we know that there are rewards and positions to be had in that kingdom. Christ has set it up that way, so it's not necessarily bad to desire that. And it's not necessarily bad to to desire a position of leadership in and of itself anyway. Paul acknowledges that when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.1, talking about desiring church leadership, and that that's not a bad desire. And Jesus mentions in Revelation 3.21 that ruling with him will will be a reward that's offered to some in the church age. And so again, these desires don't necessarily have to be bad in and of themselves. But these guys had a big flaw in their understanding of how to get from where they were to where they wanted to be. You see, they were his disciples, and they had a relationship with him. And they thought that based solely on that relationship with Christ, they were going to be able to automatically get rewards and position with him in glory. And a lot of Christians think this way too. But it's not necessarily the case. Christ lets them in on how the process actually works, and so we can see him adjust their mindsets. In Mark 10, 43 to 44, he says, But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. 
So if you want greatness and leadership, service is your vehicle to get there. The rewards and positions available in the next life aren't automatic based on having a relationship with Christ. You have to earn them through humble service. And yes, access to this next life that we're talking about is automatic through your relationship with Christ. But the rewards that come with it aren't. Service is the vehicle to greatness. And this idea of working for your rewards is pretty common in Scripture. Uh, We saw last week, 1 Corinthians 3.8, where Paul says, every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor. And we won't go there, but you're aware of the judgment seat of Christ about how faithful you've been with the things that God's entrusted you with. And so as we've already seen, the disciples, they're not always the best example, though, that they had some things messed up. So throughout studying for tonight, my mind just kept going to one of the best examples that I could think of, other than Christ, of course, which was Joseph. And so we're going to touch on him a few times tonight as we dive into our concepts. Um, And if you know much about Joseph's story, in light of what Jesus already explained, it fits really well. Joseph's story starts with dreams of greatness, but he got there through humility and servitude. So we're talking about goals tonight, and we've already established this idea that desiring the rewards and position to come isn't a bad thing. Obtaining those eternal things to come is a good goal, and that can be seriously motivating, and it should be. But just like we've seen from the disciples already, we have to go about it in the right way, the way that Jesus explained So we're going to turn our focus tonight to some goals to help us establish what we can do in this life now to set us up for the next. So before we dive in, let's pray real quick and ask the Lord to teach us. God, we love you. Um, We thank you so much for letting us be here and for letting us praise you and for doing the things that you've done and the ways that you served us that that allow us to know you, that allow us to be in fellowship with you. um, We're so humbled by that and, and your love towards us and your grace towards us. Um, I pray that as we open your word right now, just that you would be our teacher, your word would go forth, and that we would all walk away more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've got three overarching goals that we're going to look into tonight. As we dive into each one, we're going to try to narrow it down a little bit. Um, But we're going to see some in terms of like long-term and eternal and permanent goals, as well as intermediate, earthly, and temporary goals. So our first goal on your sheet Uh, revolves around the definition of service, and that is the increase of Christ. So look back with me in verses Mark 10, 35 through 37. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand, and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. So first, notice that they call Jesus Master. And they also acknowledge that he has the throne. And as we've discussed already, although their desire for the future may be okay, the problem is that they were seeking their own increase right now. And the other disciples understood this, which is why they were ticked in verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. It's probably because they understood that James and John were looking out for themselves, seeking their own increase. But I'm sure they could probably relate. But that's not what this deal of being servant, being a servant is about. That's not how this works. So while this may be incredibly basic, it's also fundamentally tied into what the definition of a servant is. It's on your sheet, I put it this way. A servant's goal is his master's benefit. And this idea can be found all throughout the scriptures. In Psalm 123, verse 2, it says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, 
Servants don't request their own increase. They aren't looking for their own hand. They're concerned about their master's hand and their master's increase. And Paul affirms these. In 1 Timothy 6.1, he writes to Timothy and says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of honor. So the servant here counts or accounts his master to be worthy of honor. This is a frame of mind which guides the servant's actions. His mindset or his goal is the master's honor. It's not his own honor, it's, his, it's the master's. And if he's not honoring his master, he's not serving him. And Paul, so, Paul also writes to Titus, chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Servants are aiming to please their masters, not themselves. Their goal is their master's pleasure. So if they aren't pleasing him, they're not serving him. And I mentioned Joseph earlier, and that he's a good example. Well, Joseph, he had a lot of masters. And his masters increased greatly due to Joseph's service. In the context, uh, we'll look at Genesis 39.5. In the context, Joseph was sold into Egypt by his brothers. He ended up as a slave serving at, under Potiphar, who is his, this head honcho dude in, in Egypt. And in verse 5 of Genesis 39, it says, And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house. So Potiphar made Joseph overseer in his house. And over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. So this guy Joseph was literally purchased. And he was in a terrible situation. Yet he served his master well. And God was with him, of course. And Potiphar figured out that wherever he put Joseph, Potiphar increased. So he put more and more things under Joseph's hand, and Potiphar benefited more and more from his servant Joseph. And that's the goal. Potiphar was the master, and Potiphar increased greatly. But old Joe was the man, because not only did this happen with his master Potiphar, but also the keeper of the prison. If you look into that story later, the keeper of the prison that he was thrown into, it happened to that guy, that guy increased, but even Pharaoh, when Joseph served under Pharaoh, look at Genesis 47, 23, and 25. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food and for them of your households and for food for your little ones. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. So Pharaoh's wealth, land, and servants all multiplied through everything that Joseph had done. That's a serious increase for Pharaoh. Joseph had gotten really good at what he was doing by this point in the game in his life. So, okay, you guys get the point. When you serve someone, they should be benefiting. So that should be your immediate goal when you're serving someone, is that person's increase. And as we've seen from what Paul said, you have to have their best interest in mind, not your own. This is absolutely born out of a right heart attitude and a right mindset, which is why we spent the last two weeks talking about those parts of this equation with service. Have any of you ever had someone try to serve you or do something nice for you and it didn't actually help you? Or depending on the circumstance, maybe it was worse than doing it yourself? Um, when I was in college, the church that I was involved with in college uh, would go, went on a little retreat, and I was playing drums for it. And the drums were in a trailer, and, and 
the trailer beat me there by like an hour. It, it was a long time. And I was contemplating in my mind, like, okay, I'm gonna get there. It's, we're running late, I'm gonna get there, I'm gonna set everything up. You know, I know where everything's at. I got a system. Everybody knows that I'm pretty detail-oriented. Uh, I, I literally have a rug with the drums like dr traced out on them. Like I know, like this is a system. I'm so, but I get there, I step out of the car, and I see a dude has my drum set like half set up. Everything is mangled. All the stands are like literally taken apart. It was like the worst case scenario. <laughs> and uh, so I, I had to not only set it, reset it up, I had to tear it down and reset it up. What should have taken me 10 minutes took me like 30 minutes. And then I was all frantic and we were running late and, you know, okay. So that dude's intentions were, were solid. He was trying to serve me. But man, it would have been so much better if he wouldn't have done anything at all. <laughs> it did not benefit me at all. Uh, I don't know. What, what examples from your life? I mean, maybe married couples in here or just if you've got a roommate. When you live with somebody else, you know, you try to do something nice and it just doesn't, doesn't work out the way that you had thought it would. Maybe you could think of a story like that. Uh, well, look, if a servant isn't benefiting his master, whatever he or she do is doing isn't service. In my case, it was, it was more like a curse what that guy did. But, I mean, your service, if your service doesn't produce increase at work, how's that going to play out? It's not going to play out very well, very long. Very long. Um, you'll, you'll probably be released from that service before too long. You're going to get fired. Because at work, you're serving for the increase of your employer. Colossians 3, 22-25 says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. This is a good work-serving verse. And because it's a picture of life, as we've discussed, we don't get the eternal wage without working for it. You can't cheat that system. The Lord knows. So we shouldn't be cheating the system at work either. Eight hours of work for eight hours of pay. Your goal at work is your employer's increase. So you can't be spending all your time asking him for more money. You've got to work. You have to benefit the employer. And we know that we have a different employer too, an eternal employer, if you're here and you're saved. You've got a vocation for Christ. Paul mentions this in Ephesians 4.1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So of course, we've got a boss in heaven that has given us work to do down here and we're his servants, just like the disciples. Christ is our master. Yet, to get back to our passage, how often do we still request our own increase from him? How often are we, seeking, are we seeking the increase of ourselves and our well-being and our riches, our glory, our kingdom here and now rather than the increase for Christ? If Christ is our master and we are his servants, then our goal needs to be his increase, not our own. As John the Baptist put it, he said in John 3.30, he said, I must increase, but he, sorry, he must increase, but I must decrease. It's that football. <laughs> so, we need to be concerned about the increase and benefit of the things that God cares about. Things like the glory of His Son, the souls of men, the Word of God, the Bride of Christ, His Church. All of these things are things that we should be looking unto as Christ's servants. 
I mean, think about the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. Go, teach, baptize, love God, love people. When's the last time you did something that pertains to that category, to the commission of the commandments? In Acts 6-7, look at these results right after the disciples called everyone to them and set up deacons. And deacons are servants in the church. It says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. These are some of the results we're looking for. And those results showed up after the servants were appointed. We need to be serving intentionally for that fruit. What are you doing in your life today to be seeking that increase for Christ? Are you involved around here? Are you on a ministry team? Are you involved in discipleship? Do you come on Sundays? How about the 9 a.m. training hour? Wake up a little earlier. When's the last time you shared the gospel? And you know, Joseph, we've been talking about him, he wasn't just a servant of men. He was a servant to God. The end result of his service was that God's people were preserved. In Genesis 5.20, he says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. So our service to the Lord should increase his kingdom with more and more people because of our diligence to be watchmen over them, like we talked about in our last series. And so we should be sharing the gospel with them. And while sharing the gospel is critical to our service to Christ, our service to others is critical to sharing the gospel. And this leads us to our next point and goal. And this is going to be about the purpose of service, which is influence for Christ. Our goal should be an influence for Christ. So back to our passage. As always, Jesus' words are deep when he explains to the disciples that service is the vehicle to greatness. And it's been a minute, so let's check out verses 42 and 44 again. It says, But Jesus called them to him, and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. So not only does Jesus correct the disciples' way of thinking on an eternal level with these statements, but his words also apply on an earthly level as well. And additionally, Jesus also brings to light a contrast of leadership paths. In my opinion, this passage is critical to the concept of servant leadership and gives us insight into that important principle. In verse 42, Jesus explains the ideology of Gentile service. And for our purposes tonight of practical application to our lives, we can just consider this as the non-Christian perspective. And in contrast, we see that the Christian or Christ follower's perspective is in verses 43 and 44. So here's the idea. In the worldly approach in verse 42, the leader is the person that is accounted to rule. He's the one in charge, the great one. And he leads through lording and exercising his authority over people. While he is in charge, his influence on others is forced. However, on the other side, in the Christian approach, in verses 43 and 44, the great one, the chief one, is the one that's ministering and serving the most. And while he is in charge, his influence on others is earned. The worldly approach is prideful and causes division and rebellion. The effects of this leadership approach are the reason why Israel and Judah split and became a divided nation back in 1 Kings 12, when Rehoboam, Solomon's son, took over and he was a jerk of a ruler. So, the northern, tribers, nor, the northern tribes up and left. And you can see this everywhere, this idea. From governments to jobs 
to families. When people quit their job, most people aren't leaving their job. They're leaving their boss. Clearly, this leadership approach is much less than ideal. And Christ, obviously, knows what he's talking about. And so, obviously, we know that Christ's approach is better. And first of all, it's the humble road and that displays the heart and mind attributes that we've covered over the last two weeks. But second, this is both an eternal and an earthly principle that you can bank on. We've already covered the eternal side of this tonight. There's rewards to be had based on your service to Christ in this life. And that's a long-term heavenly goal. But just as aspects of the physical frequently picture aspects of the heavenly, so we can also count on this principle now. Service produces leadership. But this doesn't have to mean that you'll be in some great earthly position of leadership. As a matter of fact, you don't have to be in any particular position at all as a leader. Leadership isn't about position. It's about influence, which is earned through service. But if you want to be a leader around here, let me ask you, how are you trying to accomplish that? Is it by serving? And we've already dug into some of Joseph's story as one of our primary examples, but let's finish out his story and demonstration of this concept. So back to Joseph and his master Potiphar. Notice what happened as a result of the benefit or increase of Potiphar. Joseph was elevated more and more in Genesis 39.4, and Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had, he put into his hand. That's the principle Christ described. Joseph was a faithful servant that constantly met the expectations of a servant, and he was moved up more and more in leadership. But did you catch what else happened? In verse 4, Joseph found grace in Potiphar's sight. That's influence. Joseph's faithful service influenced Potiphar. And we don't have time to look at the other two examples specifically, but this same concept can be seen whenever he was in prison. Joseph was put in charge, uh, and the, the head prisoner, the, the guy that was in charge of the prison, Joseph found favor in that guy's sight because of his service to him. And that guy increased too. And similar, Joseph follows, or similar, a similar situation follows with Joseph and Pharaoh, where Joseph is put in second, in all, in second command of all of Egypt due to his service. And Joseph becomes like a father to Pharaoh. Man, that's like the most influ- one of the most influential roles possible in someone's life is that of a father. And Joseph got there because of his service. That's incredible. The example of Joseph is an awesome demonstration of the principle and service of leadership and the influence gained through service. So notice that Joseph was in many different positions throughout his life. And you can operate as a servant no matter where you're at. So if you find yourself in any position of leadership, whether at work or school or your family or at church, you serve those that you're leading, just like Christ did. As Corey showed us last week, we need to remember to always maintain a mindset of humility in those situations. Concerning my job, I actually pray quite frequently that God would be with me and bless my efforts at work so that the employer is increased, so that I can have influence in those people's lives around me. That's the point. It's on your sheet like this. A servant leader's goal is influence in others' lives. And the point of that influence is to use for Christ in the gospel. We already saw the desire of a pastor this evening in 1 Timothy 3.1. And if you desire to be a pastor someday, why? Why is that? Is it because you want the position or the title that comes with that? Is it about height? 
Or are you looking to be able to influence more people for Christ? Is it about width? And I could, I could ask the same questions about your current job position or the one that you want. Or possibly the group you were assigned to for that school project that you hate. Or whatever. In any case, we should serve to gain influence so that we can use that influence for Christ. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23. He, fa- he says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews that became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I, made, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And here's the point. And this I do for the gospel's sake. He makes himself servant unto all for the gospel's sake. This is the only influence that matters in someone's life. Souls are eternal issues, and this is of utmost importance. Winning soul, souls should be our primary goal while we're still here on this planet. So we need to leverage everything we righteously can to get people to be receptive to that because their salvation is worth it. <clears throat> now that we've seen goals based on the definition and purpose of service, let's look at our last point, our last goal, dealing with the results of service, and this goal is the image of Christ. Let's take a look at the last verse in our passage in verse 45, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto you, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And I know we've been looking at Joseph a lot this evening, but we know that, that ultimately Christ is the one we're following. He is the best example we've got. This final verse starts with the word for, almost like the reason the service principle exists at all is because it's a picture of Christ. This is how Christ did it, so this is how the system works. It's a picture of Christ. So in talking about servants, Christ uses himself as the example. So a servant is a picture of Christ. This is why Joseph is one of the best types of Christ in the Bible, because he's one of the best servants in the Bible. He was, he was in one of the lowest positions, picturing Christ's death, and yet he was elevated to one of the highest points as well, picturing Christ ruling in glory. And you know what? The end result of Joseph's service saved so many lives, just like Christ's. So since we are his servants, and a servant pictures Christ, our goal should also be to picture Christ with our lives. If we're seeking the master's benefit and honor and increase and pleasure and will, then his desires should be our desires. And his actions should be our actions. That means we represent him. And we know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. So we're Christ's servants that represent him and his will just like an ambassador does. And this connection, it, not only is it logical, but it's exactly what we see happening with Abraham and his servant. In Genesis 24, 2-4, And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. 
Abraham's servant is sent out on a mission as the representative, representative of Abraham's will. This servant is an ambassador. This concept is very clear in your workplace. As an employee of your workplace or as a hired servant of your employer, you represent them and their image and their will. Has anyone ever checked, anyone's workplace ever checked your Facebook account? Asked you questions about it? Or have you ever heard of someone getting fired over something they posted online? That's because you bear your employer's image simply because you work there, because you're their servant. So you should serve them well by representing their image well. It's on your sheet this way. A servant's goal is to be like his master. So we should seek to be like him. That means looking like him and acting like him. So when people see you doing what you're doing, do you picture him and does that glorify Christ? As Christ's servants, we should do what we do on purpose because people see us and that reflects on Christ. Knowing that, you should do what you do on purpose. People seeing us should serve as an example for them to better serve Christ and to represent him well. Even Jesus did this. He intentionally did things for the sake of setting an example for us. That's exactly what Zach showed us out of John 13 during the first week of this series. Jesus washes the disciples' feet, not only out of service to them in a physical sense, but because there's an awesome picture, that, picture there that he needed to put on to, on to display. So how do you serve in this church and with whom do you serve? Who sees you serve? And is what they see beneficial to Christ? Beneficial to this church? What, what about what the world sees? In John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So based on Christ's servants in this room tonight, what do people think of Christ when they walk through those doors? Similarly, if we bear his image, we'd better be intentionally plugged into his body, his image, the church. And we need to be growing in the grace and knowledge of him so that we can better understand and do his will. And finally, back to the end of verse 45 from our passage, we understand what Christ's servants ultimately led to, his sacrificial death. Mark 10, 45 for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to this planet to die on the cross for our sins that we could be reconciled to him. That was his ministry. That was his service. And he did it for you. He did it for me. So if you're here tonight and you've never accepted this free gift of salvation that he offers to you because of that, please don't leave here without talking to one of us about that. It's so important that Christ, the God of the universe, died to make it possible to serve you in that way. The ultimate sacrifice from the ultimate servant. And if you're here and you are saved, then you need to remember the depth and the level of the sacrifice that he made because service will always require death to self. So by way of wrapping this up, we didn't touch on verses 38 and 39 yet from our passage. But by way of conclusion, let's take a look quick. Mark 10, 38-39. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. 
Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I'm baptized, with all shall ye be baptized. This cup and this baptism are all a reference to Christ's death. And all the disciples suffered persecution. They died to themselves all the time, especially after Christ left. And as far as I'm aware, they all ultimately ended up giving their lives for their service to Christ. And that's not something to gloss over because this should tell us that, sacrif- that service is sacrificial. It has to be. And we know that there's fellowship with Jesus in that too. Another way that we can be like him and display his image. In Philippians 3.10, we see Paul say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So when you're serving next, and you really, really don't want to. Allow me to exhort you to take up your cross and die to yourself and serve. And thankfully, at least right now, we don't really have to worry about being literally killed for our faith here. But either way, remember that the rewards to come in the next life will be based on the depth of our humble and sacrificial service in this one. Death is the best picture of a service and the best scenario for the life to come but until then as paul says in first corinthians 15 58 therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the lord it's not he will reward you someday this position that they are asking for the disciples were asking for was a position that was prepared listen trust god with with the next life. He's always been good. He died for it so, so that we could know him. He'll take care of us then. So we should take care of him in this life. And remember, Luke 14, 11, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, man, what an awesome display of love that you've made for us. In the sacrifice that, that you gave your life on the cross, it's incredible. And we're so thankful for that. And it, you made it possible for us to know you and, and to be with you for all of eternity. And I pray that, that we would let that motivate us, that, to know that you love us, to motivate us to serve you now with all that we've got and leave nothing behind we believe you're coming back soon, so we don't have much time left. But help us, help us to get, kick it into high gear and to serve you. And to know, man, that, that we need to, to serve intentionally so that we can influence other people for you. And we need to serve intentionally to look like you, to be an example to them, and to have fellowship with you, to bear your image. Because you're worth it. We love you. We pray that that this next song is acceptable to you. Um, And I just pray that as we go out of here tonight, that we could go out and serve the world and that they could see you through that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.